0: All right, we're good. I'm
1: supposed to count us in like some sort of professional, Patty, if you're going to record <laughs> still yard, Jeff.
0: I just press the button.
1: <sighs> I needed a longer break than this before hosting Sheffield Wednesday. Okay. Oh my God, Jesus. <laughs> uh, apparently, I needed a much
0: longer break, or was it too long a break? I don't even know, man. All right, five, four, three.
1: I need a longer break from Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent, but I don't have a choice. It's a very short break because the season starts again this Saturday. Once again, I am your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. I am drinking a margarita. It is Tommy's Margarita, which was invented out in California. It's a riff on the original margarita. It's just tequila, lime juice, and agave nectar. And my tequila of choice for this is Espelon Anejo, which is a one-year-aged Espelon tequila. They age it for 10 months in New American Oak barrels and the last two in Wild Turkey barrels. So this was bottled right about the time Wednesday was in first place last season. And then Wednesday bottled it themselves. We start, what is this, year four? Of the podcast. I don't even know anymore. Patty's nodding in New Jersey. It's Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking?
0: Good evening, Jeff. Um, I am drinking a uh, bullet rye whiskey, um, just straight. Um, I'm trying to ease my calories over the next few months. So just straight whiskey from now on for me.
1: It'd be appropriate to get through the season as well. <laughs> drinking something almost as strong. In his closet in Queens, New York. It's James Allen. James, what are you drinking?
2: Hey, Jeff. It's good to be back. Um, I heard that we have a rip curdler of a weekend up up ahead of us in Walsall. So I'm drinking Pyrotechnic Weekend, which is a double (laughs) IPA from uh, Fifth Hammer Brewing Company down the road. Um, It's got a uh, big firecracker on the front of it. So um, hopefully we've got some firecrackers up front. Hmm.
1: Or we'll just blow off our own hand like... uh... The Giants' defensive ended. did. And look, listeners, we've heard you. We've seen the tweets. We've seen the memes all week. hashtag Announce Disorger hashtag Announce Disorger. Well, we can finally do it. Joining the podcast, a full time co host this week, this year, this week, but also this year, it's Justin Disorger. Justin, what are you drinking?
3: Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Drinking uh, Knuckabout Brewery's virtual workout, a uh, New England pale ale, uh, 6.2% ABB, low IBUs from Knuckabout Brewery, just one town over from me on Cape Cod in Mashpee. And I'm uh, really thrilled to be here and join you guys. Looking forward to a good season. It is a virtual
1: podcast for sure and we'll start with a virtual workout against leicester city we'll talk more about the efl points deduction we'll go over the bevy of off-season fun and transfer. there may be some other news we will preview a league cup game against walsall and we'll try to do a little bit better this time around with our season predictions no promises of anything relating to quality on this podcast but we will start with the uh review of the Leicester preseason friendly and we're off to a rip-roaring start as you can tell I've completely forgotten how to host a show and only one of us watched the match so Patty your thoughts on the Leicester preseason friendly uh do <laughs> had like three sips of a margarita this is what two months of parenthood does to you i guess uh,
0: you are on a different computer a different room it's all disconcerting yeah. for me i can anyway. barely
1: read the agenda that you typed out into the chat box because i have a light my flashlight from my phone just shining in my face so <laughs> to see me on uh,
2: what have right. i signed up for here <laughs>
0: <laughs> professionals just to um,
2: this is what you're filibustering to avoid talking about the leicester city game at loughborough university the that
1: trajectory we of in the, in the podcast has just matched the trajectory of the club for the last four seasons <laughs>
0: We're always slow at the blocks anyway. We'll be fine. Uh, so about Leicester, it seems like everyone watched it. Essentially, you only need to watch the first half anyway because it's one of those typical friendlies where the second half, everyone puts on their substitutes and changes the entire team and it goes to shit. Um, but in the first half, we had um, a relatively strong side out. Um, uh, Van Aken was in defence alongside. I think it was Lees and Ayurtha. Um, Hang on, Paddy. I'll start. I'm gonna have okay. to stop you there. You said you had a relatively strong side <laughs> out. then you said Van Aiken, Except that. <laughs> I'll, I'll get onto that. Hey, you as, most, what? As, as we know you from
1: uh Wednesday Trivia night, one of the most expensive transfers of the last five years. So
0: Yeah, um I'll, I'll go straight into Van Aiken if you like. I mean you look like someone we picked up from University an hour before kickoff. He just didn't really seem to ever find his place in that team. You're like an alien kind of like concept in my pitch. He was constantly out of position, uh, very slow, um, nervy on the ball. He um, did not look like a £4 million defender we bought from the Dutch league. Um, so, yeah, I don't see him making much of an appearance um, anytime soon. But I did think that we had some promising um, players in that game. I think uh, Bannon played really well um, in that deeper role. Uh, and, and with Izzy Brown uh, playing more attacking midfield role. Uh, he looked really, really um, promising. Uh, his size is definitely something we've missed in the centre midfield. Uh, he's a big guy, puts himself about a lot, and also looks very comfortable on the ball. Can cross the ball, can pass the ball, um, Caused a lot of problems. Um, and Leicester, to be fair, some had a decent side out themselves in the first half. Uh, they could have had a couple of goals. Um, at the uh, I think it was Wildsmith in the first half, or well, maybe Dost. Can't remember. A couple of good saves. Um, but yeah, overall, the first half was a good spectacle. I think we held our own pretty much. We had a couple of good chances. Reach uh, missed a, a diving header uh, by about a foot. <laughs> right, when I say I missed, you missed the ball by a foot. You didn't miss the goal. By a foot. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think Rhodes had a decent chance. Um, but other than that, Rhodes was very, very quiet. It looked a little bit off the pace. um, looked like Rhodes. Um, so that was a bit sad. But other than that, we held our own and then second half it's basically 20 odd substitutes between the two teams and it was a bit of a mess so we had a few we our, our lack of depth showed with the amount of youngsters that came on we even uh, threw on Charles Hagen um, for a little bit uh, in the last 20-30 minutes and uh, he had a great opportunity to win the game actually and uh, hit wide from about six yards out um, but yeah he's ready. he's ready for first team action <laughs> yeah. I mean he put himself out a bit and then he just, just didn't really do much um, to Make his case. If he scored that goal, it would have been uh, a great moment for him, but it didn't really happen for him. And after that, it was a few more. Shoey, come on, Shoey, uh, and uh, another guy that I didn't even remember the name of, <laughs> another youngster. Uh, probably someone that ended in a Y. Um, but no, uh, it was uh, a pretty average preseason friendly, really. Nil, nil in the end, and a few good things to take out of it, a few bad things to take out of it.
1: We'll move from the Lester preseason friendly. I mean, nobody else watched it, Patty. I don't know what
2: you got. <laughs> I've read gonna, Patty's like, synopsis of like, you know, the tweets and the WhatsApp messages he sent afterwards. And to be fair, that's pretty much what he said last week. So I'm, I'm assuming that's true. I've got no other reasons to doubt it Thanks. The, the baby does
1: often get me up at or around 7 a.m., but I'm at the mercy of her schedule, and she woke up at 8.30 that day. Mm-hmm. So I took the extra couple hours of sleep and just pocketed them. After the Wasail game this weekend, Wednesday kick off their season, uh, and as reported in episode 102, the House of Aircast, they'll be starting on minus 12 points pending appeal. Uh, James, it's not what you want, I think, but
2: uh, yeah, it's not what you want. Well, I think that depends if you're up for a challenge, Jeff. I mean, you know, it's like when you know you're a really fast runner and you think, you know, I'm going to give everybody else a head start and then I'm just going to burn past them in the finishing straight. Unfortunately, Wednesday aren't a fast runner. We're kind of the uh, the fat bloke who uh, is only just getting off the couch and kind of getting into maybe doing like a hundred yard stroll. So, um, no, it's not what we want. Twelve points is not the lead we want to give the rest of the championship. Um Unfortunately though, it seems to be a completely fair cop. So um I'm not sure we have really got much space to uh to complain. I mean look we can argue the toss about when it should have been incurred if um if the hearing had been prompt in the early part of last season, you know, the points could have applied for last season. Now that obviously if they'd applied at the end of the season we would have simply gone down. So we got lucky there. If they'd applied earlier in the season, maybe that would have been the kind of the rocket of the proverbial backside the team needed to get themselves out of trouble and we'd start with a clean slate neither of those things happened so this is the the result of it but the long and short is that we if we'd managed the process properly we would have got away with it the same way that Derby did um we managed to try and book it in completely the wrong years again <laughs> so yeah mea culpa sorry mm-hmm. we've got to start by minus 12 points so that's how it is all things
1: that we've watched one say fuck up over the last 20 years. I We can't be shocked paperwork was one of them.
0: What annoys me is about this is that the EFL showed us how to jump through the loophole. Uh, and then the details um, in the in the uh, report are just astounding on my part. The EFL, first of all, was uh, not as much to blame, but certainly uh, do not come off well from the entire report. They pretty much said, oh, yeah, you can do this. Look what Aston Villa did uh they cheated this way so you can do it too just oh and by the way are you already late uh so we're gonna let you back date this as well uh if you just do it quickly do it really quickly for us uh, and you'll be fine then we sat on it for about 10 months <laughs> and did nothing and then we fucking did it and then we complained about it that's not quickly 10 months is not quickly at any fucking like rate uh so i think chancellor has got a lot to answer for as far as what what happened in that God knows how many. I think, was, I think it was about ten months, wasn't it? Almost a year from the emails where he said that they should be doing it. We should be doing it quickly. towards was actually filing for it. It's, well, uh, this is the only po- point in this entire episode I'm going to be negative. Oh, sorry, no, it won't be. Um,
2: but it's <laughs> uh, it's the only point in which I'm going to be deliberately negative. This is what happens when you don't have professionals running organisational. You know, it's really simple. And, and it's actually where I don't necessarily say that Chancery is at fault for the actual process. He's at fault for the fact they didn't put people who were capable of running the institution in place, right? Proper accountants working with proper auditors, working with a proper CEO, working with an operations department would not have made this mistake. You'd be on it like lightning. The EFL have given us the window. Let's do it. Get the lawyers on it, get the process set, get the accounts filed, done. We're just, we're not a professional outfit yet. Um, I'm seeing some good signs. I mean, the sheer fact that um, Gary Monk's being able to bring in his own coaching staff is a good step forward, you know, but we've got to do that all over the organization, right? You've got to bring in a proper commercial setup and not have people doing their jobs by halves. It's that simple. So yeah, I mean, this is the result. If you ask amateurs to do a professional's job, you get a second order result. Professional money launderers,
1: (laughs) is it? Sheffield Wednesday.
0: <laughs> Allegedly.
1: Allegedly, yeah. I mean, it was all – I think it's like – I mean, the EFL does not come off well in the reports. But I don't think you need a report. You just watch what the EFL has done over the last – more than six months. But last couple of years, you know, the, the clubs that have been allowed to go insolvent, the clubs that have been sold to – scallywags and speculators and whatnot and you know here we are 12 points if down. I,
0: if i was another team looking at that report like charlton and uh you read in the fact that the league are helping other clubs exploit their own loopholes uh and backdate documents to make sure sales are in the right financial years so they don't get points I would be apoplectic, as Charlton are, and I'm sure Steve Gibson is. <laughs> not so much now he's uh, not getting relegated. Um, but yeah, it, it's absolutely, and the independent commission said that, look, the EFL needs to put some actual written rules down for what happens if this uh, occurrence happens again. Uh, it needs to be a lot more stringent in what what the punishments are and what the actual rules are (laughs) there are loopholes there's loopholes great but I mean everyone has to be treated the same way right Uh,
1: I mean look if I'm skeptical of FFP I find it to be sort of larger clubs pulling up the ladder afterwards I mean Man City was clearly in violation of it but managed to skate on any sort of Champions League penalty but if you're going to have it apply across English football has to apply across English football and clearly, there are clubs that are able to manipulate it, and Wednesday were one of them. And, you know, as James sort of said at the outset, in some ways, they were pretty lucky. It could have been way worse. They could have just decided to apply it for this season when it should have applied, when sort of the crime was committed, as it were, and Wednesday could be in League One. Though, oh, yeah, guess... make, make no
2: mistake, right? We were saved by the Independent Commission. Like...
1: Justin would you argue that it was better? Would you rather start in league one this year on a clean slate or have the 12 point penalty in the championship?
3: Oh, yeah. I, I made the point probably every time I've been on this podcast, I want nothing to ever do with league one again. It's a morass and take. teams get stuck there forever. Yeah. Now there's no, I take minus anything and, and roll the dice on this. I, I will say a couple of points. It, a, it's stunning how awful it sounds when you guys just lay it out this simply. You cut through the lawyers and the paperwork, and you just kind of lay out the argument the way Patty and James have, of like what actually what happened and the sheer incompetence on the part of Sheffield Wednesday and their, you know, front office or whatever the term would be. Uh, just really ugly, Um but you also could argue some things uh, had they actually applied that penalty to the year it should have been applied and it was committed it would have been two years ago when we were safely <laughs> mid-table team and the you know minus 12 wouldn't have done anything and we'd be sitting on zero right now and not minus 12 but i mean it's the, yeah i'll take minus 12 no matter what
0: it's the efl's fault
3: Sorry,
0: go ahead. it's the efl's fault why it's been delayed so much because they put that extra charging on uh, Chancery chan siri and yeah uh, Catherine Mier, uh and the older uh, CFO about trying to bring them to court, too. And that's what complicated things. If it was just the original charge of breaching financial fair play, it could have been wrapped up. That's what the commission said. Uh, but this stupid charge they put in there as well was trying try and bury us. It was, it was a campaign against Wednesday, and they wanted to relegate us. Um, and thankfully, they got thrown out. Um, so, and the the whole thing the little details that come out in the, the part around kind of EFL's claiming that Chansey was making his accent uh, uh, worse than it actually was so they didn't understand English properly it's stopped, little, some
1: light racism
2: from
0: the yeah, EFL some,
1: it's <laughs> just so
0: it just, it just well, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't skirt
2: over that I mean so there's there's two things that really kind of stand out in the report, one is exactly what you just said Paddy, it's that the EFL very clearly established Later in the process, something of a vendetta against Defon Chancery, and, and there is no question that the way in which they represented his ability to command English was insulting at best, and yeah, I think there is a charge of racism at worst. Um, the other thing that comes out, unfortunately, is, and it, it links to the charges that were actually filed against Mier and others, which is that the inside Wednesday the lines of communication and the lines of accountability were just, or, or rather just corporate governance were woefully inoperable. So, you know, Ketri Maira, from what I can tell from reading the report, had very little understanding, if not awareness, of what was going on until very late in the process. You know, So she wasn't actually briefed as the chief executive officer on the fact that there was going to be a sale of Hillsborough, that this was going to be filed back in accounts. It was the approach they were taking to FFP until months after the um, the approach or the decision was made. You know that you can't excuse that on Wednesday's part either. So you've got kind of got these two bad actors acting in bad faith. No surprise that this is the result you get, right? I think too that
1: we like to think of Wednesday as a very much still steeped in sort of the community club model, and that's true. It's still a multi-million dollar business, and it is not run like a multi-million dollar business, and we can. Talk about the obscene money in football. We can make jokes about games gone, lad, and whatnot. But the reality is, if you want to compete in even the championship, let alone have Premier League aspirations, you need to be run like a large, you know, Fortune 500 type corporation. You need levels of accountability, you need levels of administration, you need, you know, specialists at their you know, areas of expertise. And that's not just on sort of the, the football end of it, though God knows they need it there. It, it is a business and it's not really being run like a business right now. So on that happy note, we'll take a short break. and we come back, we will get to some new Wednesday players, some more off-season news and a preview of the, I don't even know what they're calling the League Cup, but it's about Green cup. What? Carabao? It's still yeah. Carabao? All right. A preview of the Carabao Cup game against Wall Sale. <laughs> <as> James <laughs> has helpfully put for me. I'm from New England, so it's like Wall so uh-huh. is what it comes out as. five New Wednesdayites, although some of them are some old friends. Five incoming transfers. I think in the New York Owls WhatsApp group, we wanted eight, so we're only three short, although the transfer window is open for another month. I'll try to do these from memory in chronological order. And the first one on a permanent transfer from Manchester City is Faseo Deli Bashiru, who helpfully in his YouTube introduction video said, you can just call him Fizz. So we're just going to call him Fizz because although I did practice my pronunciation before the show started.
0: Do we not go for Fizzy? Like the uh... fizzy,
1: fizzy, shall we? And, uh... Hunty? Hunty, yeah. <laughs> you got to be careful with Hunty, but yeah.
0: <laughs> fizzy too, I suppose. <laughs> uh,
1: this is kind of an exciting signing in a way. It's not a market we've really been in as a club like we'll get the you know the lewis bakers on loan and stuff like that and you can consider you know izzy brown who we'll get to in that general class but you know getting a player with some potential from a big club's youth side that doesn't really have room for him uh, in a position of need since he's i guess in competition for places with joey Pelopesi james so Anything we can get there will be helpful.
2: Look, I mean, uh, I'm sure Paddy's got some positive things to say about Joe Pelopessi. I'm just going to simply <laughs> remind you all that he's got an amazing set of upper arm muscles. Um, I believe that Fizz may be even more stacked. So, you know, basically it's a man-off. It'll be yeah, fine.
1: He's, they're both, uh, I think the technical term are brick shit shithouses. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, except one can tackle and one can actually play the ball. So, you know, I'll let you work out which one's which.
0: Paddy, do you have a rebuttal? i was just looking at um our whatsapp group because i know we had a scouting report on uh, delhi Bashir like a few months ago but it's uh, taking me a little bit of time to get to it uh, essentially so, um it, it was very highly rec- recommended from our old um under 18s coach ben wilkinson who went to man city uh and he said he was a very good player um uh lots of good to promise but just didn't quite cut the mustard in the man city academy so uh, he was quite excited and uh, ben is obviously a wednesday too so he was uh happy they went to wednesday
3: well i mean he's considered a box-to-box midfielder and and he's made comments that i've read where he talks about liking to carry the ball through the middle he's got some size and he's got international experience he played on the uh Nigeria under-20 team uh, in the 2019 uh, under-20 World Cup. So, I mean, it, Jeff sort of pointed out at the start, this is a very different signing. I mean, he just turned 19. Um, so we're, we're dealing with somebody who's got a lot of upside. I, I don't know how much play he'll get this year. I, I think we've got a little more central midfield depth uh, to work with this year. Like, but, like Joey Pellifassi. No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and that's what I I had actually heard that at first, but from, from what I've read about Fizz, he's not uh he's not necessarily a defensive midfielder, but but somebody who's willing to to go
2: up and down. No, I think he's got quite an aggressive stance about him apparently. I think he's you know he's willing to sur- surge forward, you know, play in behind the line as well, which is great. Um and Jeff, I know you're gonna try and like get great <laughs> Like I'm gonna try and avoid your bait. Um I know you're going to try and get through five signings, but Mm. since we're on number one, let's really kind of hit on that point that this is a different approach for Wednesday in terms of recruitment, right? I mean, the fact that we are signing permanently, you know, good youth prospects from the fringes of premier league academies, there's only only upside from that for Wednesday because either you develop that player and you get a fantastic championship prospect who you know, either helps move you through the division or, you know, gains the attention of, of teams above. Um, or, you know, it's not a huge investment on a young player who, you know, at least has been very well developed up to this point in their career. So I think it's a fantastic step forward for Wednesday that we're making those choices and that we're not signing the, you know, late 30s um, final contract big earner striker, Stephen Fletcher. Um, I really miss Stephen Fletcher, by the way, um who, uh, you know, clearly uh, didn't work out for us last time. So look, We've just spent a segment criticizing the club's organization around the way they dealt with FFP. Somewhere somewhere on the line, they are learning, or someone's learning, and it's, um, it's encouraging. So let's take on the other players. But Fizz, I think, is a, is a great signing in terms of his potential. We've just got to wait and see him play, right? I mean, there's not many of us really know what he's like.
3: I, I just want to jump in and support that. Sorry to interrupt. Um, and I think we're actually finally starting to see the academy bear a little bit of fruit as well. Uh, Nobody that's sort of a superstar, but, you know, I was very impressed with what I saw from Shaw, I think, uh, in a very small sample size, but uh, I think all of us think that Alex Hunt can probably play at this level uh, at some point. I I don't know about the rest of you. I think Matt Penny can play at this level. I I think we're starting to see, uh, I think there was probably a shift a couple years ago inside to say, hey, this spend all the cash and go up quick wasn't working let's start to start to look a little younger and, and fizz may be a, a great example of of that uh new attitude i hope
1: <laughs> i believe next wednesday went to strengthen their back line by bringing in <laughs> a center back with two broken legs i mean when you put it that way it doesn't sound great but a proven championship veteran and you know, a, a a guy who I think fits well in a fairly experienced and steely backline, and Che Dunkley, James.
2: he's like twenty eight years old, Jeff. I mean, like you know, yes, he's been around the block for a few seasons. Um, a bit more than he's uh, he
1: experienced for his age. The year. young
2: fizz, yeah. I, I, honestly, I've never heard a new signing introduced with as a centre back with two broken legs. <laughs> Um, he's actually you know really well reputed by Wigan fans um, both you know in terms of his defensive ability his ability to get on the end of set pieces physical presence and also character and I think that you know what Wednesday played like one game against Loughborough University oh sorry Leicester Leicester City um, Champions of England Um, so we haven't really seen any of the kind of footballing product yet but we've definitely seen a fair bit of his personality right I mean you know he's he's clearly kind of you know engaged really well with the squad Um, he's very enthusiastic about Wednesday and about our prospects talked about the fact that you know he had a pick of a number of championship clubs he wanted to come to Wednesday despite the point deduction so I think you've got to give him a lot of credit for that type of um, ethos and enthusiasm that hopefully he's going to bring to the dressing room as well and you know let's be honest you know fundamental basics of the championship he is a big guy He's got a lot of presence. He seems to be perfectly competent defensively, which is an improvement on most of our defensive players, let's be clear. Um, and um, he's probably exactly the type of signing we need to have more depth and strength in the backline. Um, you know, you add him to Dominic Aylford, to Julian Borner, even Tom Lees. So You know, it's a reasonable set of championship centre-backs. So it's a good start.
1: also strengthened in midfield a little bit more grabbing Izzy Brown on a season long loan from Chelsea and this is you know I don't want to go just you know make it the James show but I do want to go back to James here because I think he does sort of fit the mold of more of a true number 10 which is something that you've advocated for Wednesday acquiring for the last like three years
2: yeah uh, so Let's be I'm I'm gonna be really honest and say I've not watched Dizzy Brown play for about 12 months. Um and obviously he had injuries and he spent time at Luton, but I honestly think this is a really exciting prospect for Wednesday. Um, if I remember that season when Huddersfield picked us and you know got into the playoff final and obviously went on up, he was outstanding for them that season, you know, just a class above in terms of his distribution, in terms of his ability to play between the lines. Um, his vision and uh, the way he would kind of bring in wingers and and strikers ahead of him. Um, And I think in this one game, as Paddy alluded to earlier on, his distribution and his uh, his kind of set-up play was fantastic. So yeah, that number 10 role is is something that had a really skillful, dynamic player ahead of Bannon. Um, I think he balances Bannon really nicely. He's just missing that one key that we're all missing at the moment, which is a really fast, pacy striker playing ahead of him. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute, Jeff. So just when that one came out of a pretty clear blue sky, I've got to be honest, that that is a real signal of intent from Wednesday in terms of securing a, a good proven championship performer, also a prospect in a Premier League squad. I think, um, again, you've got to get Wednesday marks for this one. Really, really good signing. Right, because you say, you know, you look back two seasons ago, when he, or more than that, when he had
1: helped Huddersfield go up, and he's only 23 he's already very much fluent at this level, but there's also, you know, some, some youth there, maybe some projection left and a player that if once they have some success this year, probably doesn't really have a fit for Chelsea long-term. As we know, they just collect these players and send them out on loan for years and years and years, but, you know, maybe someone you can, you know, hammered down as a as a long-term fixture in the squad going forward if the the performances and the health are there. And, and God knows, Justin, if there's one thing Wednesday is good at, it's keeping oft-unfit players fit.
3: <laughs> I think we're getting better at that, are we not? Yeah, couldn't get much slightly. worse, so. No. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll jump in a little bit because one of the interesting points that I think, and to kind of briefly cover Josh Windass, who, who we also re-signed, and, and then uh, Kachunga, I believe it's pronounced, yeah?
1: Elias Kachunga, yes. We can just do the two strikers
3: at once, so that's fine. So, so this is what I, I think partnering with the Izzy Brown signing, I think what they've done is they've gotten three players who, while their actual games are a little bit different, these are all players who thrive on short passing and – quick connections and you know as jeff uh, as james was saying bringing in other players to to interact these are guys who can take the ball in the opponent's third of the field and comfortably move it around and and interchange with each other and that is not what we have seen for the last few years so to me i'm very excited to see uh what those guys might look like up front. The The Kachunga thing is fascinating. Uh, where he, he's mostly played as a left side attacker, whether in the midfield or on the wing, uh, and not started much, but had some decent numbers. The one year he scored a bunch of goals, it was off the bench, but was for Huddersfield. And that year they went up and they played him as a center forward. Now, I don't know how much of that. He really hasn't played center forward since then, but I don't know how much of that is... Uh, in Wednesday's mind or whoever it was that did the recruiting um, to get him in, but recognizing they really liked him in that center forward role uh, with Izzy Brown behind him too. So I, I like all three of those signings a lot um, in terms of the ability to now have us control the ball in the opponent's third instead of just blasting it to hold up play or hoping that Kadim Harris can beat three guys off the dribble and lob it into the middle.
1: Petty, how much do you read into the sort of Svengali reputation of Monk's coaching staff with strikers playing into this now that they're sort of all, if you want to tie this into sort of Wednesday news, a a full uh, coaching staff now at S6?
0: I mean, you've got to hope, right? You've got to hope that um, BT can get a tune out of these people. So... uh... I feel like one of the things I wanted to mention about the, that links all the five signings together is character. Uh, we're signing players that have got a good reputation uh, in the dressing room. So uh, everyone we've signed have got like backing of the fans. Even even Kachunga, who was the, the fans said quality wise wasn't great the last two or three years for Huddersfield, but they all still like him. He's, he works for him. He's a good. He's well liked. He's, he's a good player in the dressing room. Windass, uh is. Returned to fanfare again by Dominic Kiar for this week, saying he was a good laughter in the dressing room too. Uh, Dunkley seems like a leader, respected championship player. Uh, Izzy Brown's well liked, and uh, who was the first one we signed? Bash- Bashir was un- unknown at the time, I mean, but like I, I say, the uh, the uh, our-, our guy on the inside in Mansey said he was a very w- uh, well respected player and a good head on his shoulders. So I, I like the fact we're signing people that aren't going to upset the apple cart, right? So we had uh, previously. Uh, Forestieri and uh to some extent if you do look at it like i know we all love the
1: love the wembley 11 but in hindsight it does seem like there were a lot of assholes in that 100
3: percent, 100 Hutchinson. Which, i think that's the main reason westwood's out right
1: yeah, yeah which is fine when it works i mean sometimes you need a few assholes you know ross wallace was like it's like you hate them except when they're on your team kind of
2: players jack hunt <laughs> excuse me <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just, but- Paddy, I'm, I, I've i got to applaud you I, I think I hadn't picked up on that but you are 100% right That that is the thread that links all five mm-hmm. you know for, forget their positions forget what they bring in terms of experience their character is absolutely consistent and that says a lot about Monk's recruitment policy and actually a lot of, to be fair to him, a lot of what he's been saying about needing to change the complete composition, the culture of the dressing room um, and it is striking a little bit, you know, if you kind of reflect on the players that Wednesday let go you know, there's obviously some very, very clear championship pedigree in, in players like Stephen Fletcher, you know, rapidly got clubs like Stoke but there's a few that haven't actually landed um, and you You can probably kind of... Everyone needs one asshole. Maybe you don't need four.
1: As far as changing the sort of composition or or culture of the squad, the other Wednesday news of note is there has been a shift in the armband from Tom Lee's to Barry Bannon. Gary Monk announced that Bannon would be the captain of the squad going forward. Patty, you seem to have a very demonstrative reaction on Zoom. So (laughs) your thoughts?
0: Fuck, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah. finally, the dead-eyed monster has gone from the, the the leadership role. The the guy with the least pep in his step uh, that was supposed to be leading us for the last four years. Oh my god! I, I I'm so happy we're out of this era <laughs> of of Tom so, Lee's leadership.
1: I'm I'm curious about this because I do wonder. I mean, Bannon obviously you know, outside of Lee's with, I mean, outside of Lee's and Palmer with, you know, Kieran Lee and Newhu off to other places is at this point the most tenured player in the club. I just, I don't know if he strikes me as sort of a traditional captain. I mean, that's me wanting like a, you know, a Julian Borner or a, or a Dominic Iorfa type, sort of the steely center back you know going back to like nigel pearson like every every wednesday captain in my head is either nigel pearson or is james going to test martin hodge but <laughs> bannon for me i don't know i don't know how much this matters but i don't know if sort of like the soft working the ref stuff works as well with bannon i mean now i have the armband so i guess that does make a difference but he does seem a little bit like a bit of a winter to me on the pitch sometimes which is fine but i don't know if that's the the role you want your captain in like you kind of want the sort of the if you don't want sort of the dead-eyed calmness of tom lees you want something a little more in between like glenn lubins maybe
3: justin i i actually agree with you yeah no i i agree with you a bunch i'm not a huge fan of Bannon as captain I, I found a couple times that he's gotten the captain's armband have been games where I specifically notice he seems to be almost overdoing it almost uh, getting a little too emotional taking it a little too much to heart and kind of running around and, and frankly my other longtime criticism of, of Bannon who whom I love and I think is a undoubtedly quality player at this level is that he can disappear he can be taken out of games and what you don't need from your captain is somebody who's disappearing and you also don't need somebody who's playing a little bit out of control and, and that's where as, as much as i agree that the tom Lees was a little too calm um you know if, if you take uh, and, and i know jordan henderson is uh, the england's gift to the world according to liverpool fans and many england fans but i look at the leadership of a guy like virgil van dyke who is calm but is also a presence at all times. And that's where, Jeff, I'm inclined with you. I see an Iorfa uh, or a, a Barner who is able to control play and control the tempo without kind of losing their head. I'm, I'm a little concerned about Bannon doing it. Although I, I believe that Monk's comments on it were that he wanted to challenge yeah. Bannon um, by giving you know- him that and to see if he'll step up a little bit.
1: And we don't know, like from the outside, the shape and nature of the current dressing room. So there is this idea that I think the idea that was sort of the justification for Tom Lee's captain was that he was sort of this quiet leader in the dressing room. So I don't know if he or he being Gary Monk wants Bannon to take on more of that sort of. Sort of role in the changing room or if it's just he's the longest tenured player or if as patrick suggests that tommy is just a dead-eyed monster that needs to be removed from the position
0: i think look you've got to be tactical right yeah i, I think um if he gives it to someone like i offer or someone even as uh, the dunk looks like he's a good leader as well mm-hmm. you can't give that that armband to someone that's not been in the club as much as bannon has um I feel like he would have upset Bannon if he didn't give him the captain's diamond. which maybe not... It, it doesn't necessarily... If that's the case, then it doesn't sound great on Monk. But I do think there's obviously positives to Bannon too. I think he... I I, I disagree with the comment about him be Mona or Winger. Uh, the same people on Twitter, the same people that uh, say they like their manager to be animated and shout a lot. I mean, Bannon is animated and shouts a lot. So you, you, you have to kind of take the good with the bad in that respect for someone's personality. Uh, I, I think he's the most experienced in the club. He's been around. He's clearly liked still. Um, uh, he's, he's gone through the last four or five years. Uh, and he's probably going to his, 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 um, his career Wednesday now. Uh, I think he's the he's the best fit right now for the captain. I don't necessarily think he's going to be captain in two years' time. You know
2: what? None of us have a fucking clue. The <laughs> honest truth is the pick of a captain comes down so much to a manager's judgement about what's right in the dressing room this is Gary Monk's call right mm. so for all of the fans speculation about who's right who we'd like to see, what the right fit would be what the right, this is this is a real man management call so it, this one's on Gary Monk, it's on it's on him to have picked that this is the right challenge as you said Jeff that will bring out the best in Barry Bannon that Barry Bannon will command the best in the team
1: proof oh, will be in the pudding that's an interesting point because we forget that, you know, Gary Monk came in in unusual circumstances early on, but into a season with a squad that had already sort of had their preseason and gelled and done whatever. And he wasn't going to necessarily come in and, and be able to put his stamp on the team, which is something I think we discussed in some of the early episodes after he took over. Now he's had a full a full full off season with over the fucking three weeks since I lasted this show, but, but he's had his chance to sort of you know bring in his coaching staff, potentially make some transfer moves and if you look at the people that have come in, they're proven championship players that he would be familiar with having coached in this league for the better part of five six seven years now, and making the move from Leeds to Bannon seems to be a uh, in a way, potentially putting his stamp on what this team is going to look like going forward and what he wants it to look like going forward.
2: I think so. I mean, look, if Gary Monk makes a success chef at Wednesday, we're going to know about it pretty quickly. If his choices don't work, we're also going to know about it pretty quickly. Like it loathe it, the next few months are going to be really, really interesting in terms of whether Wednesday have a future in the championship. So buckle in. Here we go. Well, before we get to the championship, we do have the Carabao Cup, the magic of
1: the cup. And we get to introduce a new segment, since we've had James slag off enough small towns in England over the last four years. We'll get an American perspective in a segment we call Justin Discovers Wall Sale. (laughs) So, Justin, what have you learned about Wall Sale this week?
3: (laughs) So we had kind of joked about uh, perhaps me coming up with some interesting facts about uh, Walsall and you know, maybe asking you guys to figure out some questions, but here's the deal. It is just another fucking Midlands town. That's it. <laughs> In the twelve hundreds it became a market town. And then it's well known, hold on. It's well known like many of the other towns. Uh, Queen Elizabeth once stopped there, and they like to note that. And then, in the Industrial Revolution, the population of the town quintupled, and it blew up. And then everybody became miners, and now there's nothing going on there. And that could be summarized by hundreds of towns in the middle of England. So they make any
1: unreliable cars. In the
3: 60s, I'm sure 70s. they do. I'm sure. Exactly. Exactly. This is Walsall, and I apologize to all of our listeners in Walsall who may be offended by this, but there is nothing to differentiate it from any other uh, Midlands area town. It is what it is. They're known for making fine leather products. Um, There was a hippopotamus statue downtown. (laughs) And uh, Rob Halford, uh, lead singer of Judas Priest, is from Walsall. That is everything (laughs) that we need to know about Walsall. Uh, Other than one quick note, uh, their dialect, their accent, uh, like all uh, black country accent, is not... They get offended if they're considered with a brummy accent and their accent is known as Yam Yam. I'm <laughs> going to leave that to, I'm gonna leave that to uh, our listeners to go look that up on their own. So Walsall, the club, uh, to, to do a quick breakdown of them, both historically and now. Uh, they are old, man. Good for them. 1888. That's 133 years that they have been. Uh, they were originally two teams in Walsall. Walsall Town and the Walsall Swifts. You guys would be shocked to know that in 1888, they combined to become the Walsall Town Swifts. And they were an original member of the second division in the Football League, got kicked out, bumped around, not a lot going on. Um, They would like to consider Wolves their historical rival, uh, but they've only played, they've played less than 20 times, uh, I think ever. So that doesn't really work. Same thing with West Brom is also very close, but they've played 15, 16 times ever. Their rivals are Shrewsbury, uh, Coventry, uh, other mid-sized teams in that area that they played far more frequently in the lower leagues. Uh, Port Vale, the like of that. Well, um, so currently is in their second straight season in League Two after almost 10 years in league one, which uh, unfortunately for them is kind of a high mark in their, um, in their history. Uh, they, and again, this is how stereotypical this team is. They played in a super old crappy park from 1896 to 1990. And then uh, we all know what was happening around that time to have teams in England change to new modern stadiums. They're now in a nice uh, the Best Stadium, 11,000 people. And from everything I could read and see, it's just the kind of typical modern uh, stadium, lots of amenities. No, James, jump in.
2: You were doing so well, Justin. Uh, like, bad. you were just tell, point tell after about point, right on message. Yeah. The Best Scott Stadium is not a modern stadium. But apart from tell that, you know. yes, very well done.
3: Okay, fair enough. From what I could see, it appeared to be the type of stadium where, and by modern, I meant, yes, there's football there. But then there's a concert on the weekend or some local company hosts an event there because they have five bars at the stadium, etc. Now, they are, as currently constituted, a very typical lower league uh, small club. Uh, Their entire team is from uh, the UK or Ireland, mostly from England. Um, their current manager is actually has a bit of a decent record is Daryl Clark, who was known for bringing Bristol Rovers up to a couple of promotions in the last few years. Um, known to be a good tactician, willing to change his tactics week to week to match the opponent and match that. And also well at Bristol Rovers was apparently beloved. He would often join the fans in the pub to (laughs) sing Bristol Rovers songs with them. So, um, Clearly, they've got a man who uh, they enjoy. Their most famous manager, I would argue, is Dean Smith, uh, former Wednesday captain during two of Wednesday's worst seasons ever. So there's a little uh, connection in there. Um, and to look at the current squad, Walsall, what we're looking to see, um, what we're looking to see on Saturday. Uh, last year they played a 5-3-2; they called it 3-5-2, whatever you want to term it. Um, and did terribly. Uh, but had picked up a young uh, winger named Wes McDonald, who was very successful with them. And Daryl Clark switched to a 4-4-2. And they run most of their offense on that left side through McDonald. Um, they were fairly successful. Um,
1: well, the good news is that Wednesday are loaded at right back, so that shouldn't really well, be
3: that's, a problem. <laughs> I'm, not worried, I'm not worried about that. Um, but I, I will say the scary thing for them is before the season, uh, Clark – uh, a couple weeks ago talking about the upcoming season said, given the lack of funding due to COVID, um, they might have to quote, focus on the youth this year. So keep your eye out for Wes McDonald's, uh, left winger, expect a four, four, two. And, uh, my God, if we can't beat a league two squad, even in uh, a competition that frankly, I always love cups, We should not care about this year. Uh I might start becoming as negative as some other members of the pod. <laughs>
1: uh, James, do you have any fond memories of Walsale?
2: <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say something positive about Walsale. <laughs> uh, first of all, Justin, uh, absolute tour de force. Um, you couldn't have represented a n- meaningless town in the Midlands better than any Brit with that, uh, that synopsis. I used to drive through Warsaw, um once a month when I used to go down and see my grandparents who uh, who lived in the Black country, a bit further down the uh, the m five in uh, in albury um yeah it's it's literally a stadium on the side of a motorway in the middle of a built up conurbation of nowhereness. um they they weren't bad a couple of years ago, so uh, interestingly enough you know Dean Smith who obviously you know got villa up ultimately and has kept them up um Basically built his his trade as a manager at Warsaw, and under, under Smith they were they were a pretty decent size So in some respects, the fact that they're a League Two team now is is kind of sad. And um, I wouldn't say there's any real fondness for them. Um, it's not on a away ground. I don't think many Wednesdayites will uh, will think, "Gosh, I had a great day out in Warsaw." Um, yeah, we just need to get down there and eat them and come home. It, essentially, it's a pre-season friendly. Let's call it what it is. I mean, the Caribou Cup means nothing. Wednesday played one game so far, so it's a chance to play a second game and hopefully maybe try and make this squad that hasn't really played together start to gel before we have to start the season proper because we've got a hard start to the championship year. So this is just one more game to get people playing. Which takes us to our predictions
1: for the 2020-2021 Sheffield Wednesday season. We have some uh, some new questions, some old questions. We'll start with a very simple one. Patty, where does Wednesday finish?
0: Uh, I'm going for 18th comfortably. Oh. That's a, some sunny optimism, <laughs> James.
2: 17th. Wow, Justin.
3: I was going to say eighteenth, so I think we're all on that same page. And I'm with Patty. I I think that it's it's comfortably in the sense of you know two three games to go. We'll we'll be able to take a breath and 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 be okay.
1: I'm sticking with what I was going to go with coming into this in twentieth, and it's going to be a hard road to hoe. <laughs> I'll Ooh. take it. <laughs> Who is getting promoted,
0: Patty? Uh, i chopped and changed a few of these ones. Uh, I think it's going to be Brentford and Watford in the top two, and I think Swansea might get it together in the playoffs. James,
2: um, I've got no idea who's going to win the league. Uh, but I agree with Paddy. I think Brentford have the most stability and the most momentum. So I think they're definitely – I think Watford are definitely the strongest of the teams coming down. Um, I'm going to go for a full Paddy Queen clean sweep because I I fancy Swansea are the teams that are coming up. Don't mistake Stoke, though. I think Stoke are going to be pretty good this year. Justin.
3: Uh, I'm with Brentford. I mean, we'll see if they get anybody sniped from them in the next month or so. They, they should have gone up this past year. Uh, I think everybody's sleeping on Norwich. If they're coming down, they got their asses handed to them in the Premier League. That's not going to happen. Uh, they kept their manager. They kept a lot of their players. I, I think Norwich goes up. And I'm actually I'm glad you said that, James. Because I thought I was a little crazy. My wild card is I I can see Stoke. Uh, I can see Stoke kind of coming out under Michael O'Neill. They were uh, second or third best record since O'Neill took over in the Championship. He proved that he knows what he's doing with northern ireland so and i mean i mean i'm not excited to see them especially with wednesday castoffs uh (laughs) leading the line and uh, holding down the left side but uh yeah i'll go brentford Norwich, stoke
1: i think they're all a little too high on brentford for me they tend to be a little inconsistent and i can see them having a little bit of a down year i think watford and norwich are the two for automatic promotion i think they're just too much strength coming down from the premier league and they kept their squads more or less intact and I am going to go – I think this has become a bit of a running gag. I think Darby finally makes it happen in the playoffs for them this year. It's
0: let's, never going to happen. It. It's <laughs> never going to happen. You're a secret Darby fan.
1: No, I just uh, – I, like I enjoy a bit. So we'll, we'll stick with that. Derby in the playoffs. Patty, who is getting relegated?
0: Uh, I've gone for my favorites every year, Reading, mm-hmm. uh, obviously Rodham, mm-hmm. uh, and Luton Town. James. Uh, Rotherham
2: are an obvious gimme because they go down every other year when they come up. Um, I agree with Paddy. I don't see Luton staying the course. Um, and having absented Wednesday from uh, from all of this, I actually think Coventry. I I, I quite fancy Coventry to, ha- to kind of come up and hang around because I like the club, but I'm just not sure they're ready for it. So we'll see. Justin. Completely
3: understandable mistake by you guys to forget about Wickham Wanderers, who have... Well, we all uh, like Wickham, though, budget of a non We like Wickham, but they have the budget of a non-league team. Uh, <laughs> it's a miracle that they made it to this division. Wickham's going down, Rotherham's going down, and then I agree. I, I think there's a group of teams that are either small or kind of a disaster, whether it's Luton or... Birmingham or, or Coventry. Uh, I didn't even see Huddersfield. You really wonder what's going on there with cutting managers left and right and doing it. But I'm, I'm going to pick a complete wild card and say uh, I think QPR falls apart.
1: I almost went for. QPR. Uh, I, I thought they were.
3: A, I thought they were atrocious when we played them, and they lost uh, their uh, central defender Hall, and they lost uh, Ezzy. Easy. They lost him, and they've got a couple other players that people are looking to pick. So you've got a team that really, and I know they finished ahead of us, as everybody did, but you know they, they really didn't look good. They're losing some of their best players. They don't seem to have a uh, coherent leadership structure in place. So I won't be surprised if it is Luton or uh, Coventry or somebody like that, but I, I think QPR could be a disaster this year.
1: I'm going to pick Rotherham because it's always Rotherham. Uh, Luton Town, and I don't know if they're good, I don't know if they're bad, but every year I pick Millwall, because fuck Millwall.
0: <laughs> I was going to pick Millwall to go up.
1: <laughs> Always a fun category, Patty. Wednesday's leading scorer. You can go for Jordan Rhodes again if you want.
0: Yep, fourth year in a row, Jordan Rhodes. Uh, I'm going for it again. One of these years, I'll be right. How many goals?
1: <laughs> How many goals? Uh yeah. 15. Fifteen goals from Jordan Rhodes, James. Is
3: that more than his entire career? Yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. probably would triple
2: his uh, goal total. Team. Yeah,
0: James Beattie's gonna get him scoring.
2: There's so many ironic ways I could answer this question. My favourite is Addy Nuhu with twelve. <laughs> um, no, I think our leading scorer. We haven't signed yet. I don't know who that person is, but I genuinely believe that there is somebody we haven't yet brought into the club who's going to score more goals than anybody in the squad right now.
1: Would you like to give him a goal total?
2: <laughs> yeah, 10. I mean, let's yeah. let's be honest. I mean, Rhodes hasn't shown that he can score more than 10 goals a year. Um, we're not going to get that from our midfielders. Neither Kachunga nor Windus are 10, 10 plus goal a year scorers, I don't think. So yeah, we need that striker. I am mean, that's that's straightforward. So whoever there is, we don't know who they are, but they He will need to sign on the dotted line. Justin,
3: Uh, I will say Kachunga did score 12 that year. That Huddersfield went up, so whatever that's worth, I thought about him. Um, I had not considered the field, and I I think now hearing that, I would like to vote for that. But I was going to come in and with a laugh because we have no other answer. I think it will be Jordan Rhodes, and it will be, you know, somewhere around his career total for Wednesday, 12, 13, something like that
1: isn't even that high
3: 13 yeah didn't we figure it out yeah, I thought it was 13, 13. Yeah. Oh, fair enough
1: uh, I kind of want to be clever here and do Jacob Murphy with 11 but uh, I am going to go with Windass and 10
0: that's a safe bet
1: I don't feel good about it, but I think he's going to get starts. He does. and we I, I didn't really talk about him when we discussed him earlier. I do – he can be pesky. I think he's the kind of guy that in the right formation and the right tactics against the right team can really be a problem playing right off the shoulder of the last defender. And I think he's going to get a, a longer run out this year. So, yeah. There you go. I well,
3: mean, I, I see, see him, him as one of my starting two up front. You know, yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree that he'll be the goal scoring, but I, I think he'll get. I think he'll get the majority of run out at, up front, unless James's good call of the field, whoever that is, ends up showing up.
1: What is the most Wednesday thing that will happen this season, Patty?
0: I thought long and hard about this, uh, and I feel like I might have cursed us by writing it down. So. I'll put it into the ether as well. Uh, Rhodes is going to score 15 goals before Christmas. He's going to get injured for six months. They're leaving her free next year. It's
1: very Wednesday. James?
2: Uh, Wednesday are going to make a remarkable start to the season. Uh, we're going to raise our 12-point uh, deficit within about six games. Um, and uh, Gary Monkey is going to be laundered as the... Uh, championship manager of many months by Christmas at which point he'll be poached by a playoff contender <laughs> and uh, Wednesday will then descend into a rut of chaos and get relegated
0: with a re-high Yos <laughs> Justin I don't have
3: anything I can't beat
1: that <laughs> uh, I have one uh, round of 16 FA Cup they draw Sheffield United somehow win one nil on a random own goal get a league one team in the quarterfinals the shot to go to wembley and completely bottle it
3: i'll take that i gotta be honest i'll take that
1: we have a bonus question patty when will wednesday erase the 12 point deduction
0: so again i've done my research today this is literally the only question i did um mm. I worked it out. I think we're gonna have a really terrible start. I think I think it's gonna be QPR will be the first win we get on the third of October. Um then we'll beat uh Wickham or we'll beat Luton, Rotherham and Wickham on the trot. So that we will be we'll be at zero points by Halloween. <laughs> James.
2: Beat that, yeah. Um I don't know, I for, There's so many variables this season, right? I mean, Wednesday, Wednesday, but there's nothing normal about this season. There's nothing normal about the preparation that any squad has had. So although on paper, the start looks tough, I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic and say, I think we get to zero points by the middle of October. I'll predate Paddy by two weeks. Justin.
3: Um, I'm going to be kind of a dink about this question as well, because... I think the mindset that I have going into the season, I think that the team needs to have, and I actually feel fairly confident that they do, is that you cannot think of when are we going to reach this goal. You need to be a process-oriented organization, not necessarily goal-oriented organization. And and I think what Wednesday needs to do is come to play every week. I think they need to play – pretty stout defensively I think they need to feel comfortable moving the ball up the field and counterattacking I think they need to be able to have some players who can make some individual uh, plays against the lesser teams who are going to sit back on you we're going to have to have some people who can break things down and maybe that's where Izzy Brown really comes in handy even a guy like that and I think that we have to approach the season literally literally one game at a time we got one game Here's what we're going to do. If, if the players, the fans, the coaching staff start getting caught up on, we're at minus nine, we're at minus eight, whatever it is. And thinking negatively, it's not going to go anywhere. It, this is a six to eight month long season, whatever it is, it's a marathon. And if you start thinking too big and worrying about overcoming the minus 12, I think it'll affect your mindset. To to me, the best thing that Sheffield Wednesday can do is forget all about that minus twelve and just go out there and play the kind of football that, frankly, I think that this team is capable of playing. Which is why I think that we're going to stay up at the end of this year.
0: Very valid point, oh. Justin. But for God's sake, give us a date.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, October eighth.
0: <laughs> we're not in the team. We don't care. We can bet anything.
1: I will say that if you told like. Given the circumstances, what would be the two least appealing away fixtures to start the season with? I would have picked Cardiff and Bristol City, and here we are because they tend to be bogey fixtures. I think we would two points from the first three games, beat QPR at home, get a point from Birmingham on the road. Dude, I could do math. That's six. Be into so the Rotherham game, October twenty eighth. They'll get two. Yeah. <laughs> three days before me. Yeah. And I will—I'll uh, throw in one more old question, even though it's not on the agenda. What's the Is date? Is this the Steve Bruce question? What's the <laughs> date that Steve Bruce will get sacked from Newcastle?
0: <laughs> I'm still going to wait for this. Penny. Um, well, there's rumors again about the Saudi takeover, isn't there? Uh, apparently, back in the table. Um oh my god! But I'm going to say, who said Halloween last time? Maybe we get to naught points when uh, the same day that. Bruce gets sacked on Halloween. James.
2: For good or for bad, Steve Bruce becomes a Newcastle legend. He stays the course <laughs> of the season. <laughs> Justin.
3: Ah, but James, it's it's. There's no reason Steve Bruce should even have that job at this point. He's gonna he's gonna take it to the house. He's gonna finish thirteenth, and they're gonna love him.
1: Oh <laughs> man, there's so. <laughs> They start West Ham away, Brighton at home, Tottenham away, Burnley at home, Man U at home, Wolves away, Everton at home. It's a very soft opening schedule. I think he makes it to... I think they panic fire him after he loses at home against Wolves on February
0: 27th. I love it. I love it. Oh. Imagine, imagine if that was right
2: if you're steve bruce deliberating about whether or not to leave sheffield wednesday in june of 2019 if you don't get fired until february of 2021 <laughs> you <laughs> fucking made it you made the right <laughs> call steve bruce yes you know you're called judas and potato head and blah 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 blah, blah but you've got to manage your boyhood club for 18 months like I hate to say it, but he made the right call. Bastard.
1: This has been episode 103 (laughs) of the Owls Americas. Jeffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent. Find us on the internet, owlsamericas.com. Email us at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdays, Reverend and the Makers podcast is on a whole bunch of things because i don't have the actual document in front of me i can't tell you all the places you can listen to the podcast but it's all the places and wherever you listen to sheffield wednesday opinion with an american accent otherwise known as the owls americast we ask that you please rate and review the show that helps more wednesdayites find our ramblings patty is on twitter at new york owls and at patty a jones patty an official prediction for the carabao cup Round one, a match against Walsale.
0: Honestly, we're going to summon complaints. We the some of this, this horrible town. Um, I'm going to go with give me a
1: score line and goal score so We can wrap <laughs> this goddamn show up.
0: Mm, let me think about it. Uh, 2 0 Wednesday,
1: and the goal scorers, is...
0: god, uh, Windass and. Harris. James
1: is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. I believe at Vermont Owls now too.
0: Occasionally,
2: though, I'm not up that way this time.
0: Yeah.
1: Give us an official scoreline for Walsall.
2: Walsall uh, won because Wednesday always fuck up. Wednesday three. Ooh.
1: Wednesday goal scorers.
2: Um, Josh Winders. Alex Hunt, for no particular Mm. reason, other than the fact that he might be able to escape a scrum faster than anybody else due to his size. Um, And uh, Adam Reach. Mm -hmm. Justin's on Twitter at New England Owls.
1: Justin, can you give us your best yam yam accent?
3: Cannot. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. I don't even know what the hell that was. Uh, No, I thought 2 0, I thought 3 1 let's let's make it 2 to 1 cuz James is right they're going to fuck it up at some point uh Kachunga opens with some scoring and we'll give Izzy Brown to a couple new guys bringing it home
1: i'm on twitter at jeff peternastro and uh 1-1 Wednesday went on penalty kicks Shay Kleto opened his account on a header at the 86th minute to bail out an absolutely otherwise abject performance and we'll talk about it however it goes next week.